Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Musical World. This episode was recorded on August 6th at the Encore Theater Company World Headquarters in Dayton, Ohio, as the musical theater world was merging in Dayton for the Festival of New Musicals that was being presented at the Loft Theater by the Human Race Theater Company and Encore Theater Company. Kevin Moore and his talented group of people over there, they were kind enough to include Encore in this year's festivities, and we shared two new shows with the audiences. The Consequences by Kyle Jaro and Pump Up the Volume by Jeff Thompson and Jeremy Desmond. Pump is the featured show of this episode, though, as Dave, Shane, and I sat down with Jeff and Jeremy for an interview just before all the fun started on Saturday morning. Be sure to hang in till the very end, though, because we've got some outtakes for you. These guys were a blast to hang with, and we know we're going to be hearing a lot more from them in the future. So now, hold on to your hats. <laughs> You're about to get a lap full of musical. Yeah. Okay, who wants to start this thing? Okay, folks, thanks for coming. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> We're broadcasting for our 100th episode. <laughs> We're broadcasting on 92 FM Pirate Radio. <laughs> oh, that was the voice of Jeff Thompson. Jeffrey Thompson, I, I shorten everything, so. Oh, Jeff, Jeff is great as long as I mean, you know, you know he's David, but he's Dave to me. <laughs> right, yes. Among other things. He's Shane T, but he's. Asked me. <laughs> well, no, it's it, 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 it's funny. Um, over the course of the thirty years that I've been on this earth, um, I, I've had several nicknames. Really? Uh, yes. Um, yes. To name a few. Uh, to name a few. Well, so, well. To preface it, I had these nicknames because I always thought my name Jeff was rather mundane, and my parents don't like it when I. <laughs> I'm like, Mom, couldn't you have named me something cooler, like? Remy Lafoy, <laughs> or, or Jeff with a G, <laughs> or Jeff with a G. Uh, yes, yeah, it's just something interesting. No, uh, like uh, Remy was one of my names. Um, my my nickname in high school was Rusty. Um, my nickname. Oh, at, that's the ginger. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and uh, my nickname at the Interlochen Arts Camp was Hampshire. I love Interlochen. Yes, I, I, I was thinking Hampshire. Yeah, because I, I just thought my name would be would sound so much better as Hampshire, Hampshire Thompson. But but I think I grew out of that phase. <laughs> how how old were you then? Well, this was 1862. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, I, I was I was trying to think of the most snooty. Well, I, well that, that, that wasn't the intention. But but um, a buddy of mine and I were trying to think of the most snooty name, and we came up with Gaylord Hampshire Stevenson the <laughs> third. That's pretty. Snooty. That's pretty snooty. Anything the third. (laughs) You know, you can... Oh, we just lost (laughs) listeners now. Which is how we refer to you. And, and, and of course, Gaylord is listening going, oh, man. (laughs) People call me Brad (laughs) Pitt Well, it's a likely mistake. I know. I'm like, no, look, my name is Jeremy, please. No, stop it. I understand the confusion. I'm not Brad Pitt. I'm Jeremy Iron. People do not understand (laughs) that I'm not. But, you know. I'm sure the same thing happens to him. And gets... <laughs> yeah, they call me Mr. French. <laughs> and he's dead. So, can both of you maybe separately talk oh, about... Wait a second. Co- we, we haven't even... We haven't, even we haven't really introduced. <laughs> we have, in ETC World Headquarters here, we have Jeff Thompson. Hello. And Jeremy Desmond. Hello. 
and they are the writers of Pump Up the Volume. <laughs> which which we saw last night till twelve thirty or so. Yeah. <laughs> it, just to preface, it began at ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Last night was the uh, performance, the first performance of it in, in a uh, workshop setting at the Human Race. Um, first time ever heard. Ever, yeah, ever, 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 cool. forever. I've ever heard it not sung by Jeff Thompson. <laughs> and you have a lovely voice. <laughs> but there were ten lovely people last night who sang it a little How differently. How is Jeff? Is Nora? <laughs> well, well, He's kind of sassy. <laughs> well, well, but, 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 but I get in the talk hard when I start humping your couch. <laughs> well, that's, I, that's probably the push-up that makes sense. <laughs> my couch asked me not to allow Jeff to come over. <laughs> you could probably sell the center cushion. I, I know, right? Well, I'm just waiting One day for that you. couch will be worth it, something. It will be, exactly. You know, like people play on Richard Rogers' piano? Yeah. Oh, yeah. People will be like, this couch was humped by Jeff. <laughs> Stevens is with her. Oh, oh. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> this is Musical World Podcast. Thanks for listening. Good night. <laughs> but yes, uh, Pump uh, last night was the first performance at 10 o'clock at the festival down at the Loft Theater here in Dayton. Yep. PTC um, produced a workshop of it, and guys, you got a heck of a show. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. really. really I, I think it was well received, even though it was the late, late crowd. It was a little bit sparse than what I expected. But as far as attendance, but it was ten o'clock on Friday night, and some people had already seen the seven o'clock musical, and yeah. and then it'll be again. I think tomorrow night it'll be much better attended. Right, but but the thing is, I mean, you know, the, that aside, uh, Jeremy and I were um, talking about this last night. That you know, we had them, we had them. Oh yeah, to the end. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, in a first draft. In I mean, a first that's draft. the thing is that. Yeah. We, you know, obviously all first drafts were longer than you want them to be, yeah. and we still felt like we were waiting for them to, to. We would not have been angry had they all checked out because we felt like there's work to be done in, in making sure that it's smoother. For, but they kept they kept with us. I kept waiting for them, and we just had them to the end, and it was so fulfilling as a, as a writer to know that there was something about it that was keeping them around. That there was that there was some implicit promise in the beginning that they needed to stay to the end to find out that there was that there was enough motion throughout enough joy and enough music and enough spectacle or whatever is in is in pump to make it work and that was really really fulfilling absolutely should we tell them that it was based on the movie i don't think we've said that yet oh yeah yeah of course it's uh, it's based on the uh, 1990 movie written and directed by alan moyle um who uh, is um He's like, uh, you know, after my dad, of course, my, my California father. I love the man. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it, it, um, the pursuit of rights, it, it took four years to get permission, legal, you yeah. know, the legal permission to um, write the show, to be, you know, the only writers in the world who are allowed to write, pump up the volume as right. a musical theater property. And I remember, um, you know, going to Allen, uh, meeting him at his place, because we were out in Los Angeles last summer uh, for another show of mine uh, called Trails, which we did at the Los Angeles Musical Theater Festival. Um, we met with Alan. We presented him uh, the songs from the demos that, that we made. And, and Alan, uh, Alan um, 
you know, he, I, I was terrified because th- this is a very personal story for me, and sure. I, I, I know it's a personal story for him. And so we played him these songs, and, and uh, he thought for a second. He said, "It's better than the movie." So it's. I uh, think so. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, you know, and, and you know, I, and I mean, the the movie is. Um, you know, very inspirational, and uh, yes, we, we've. Um, I mean, everything that's in the show is um, is inspired from the film, um, and uh, I mean, we we may stray, uh, in, we may take a few different directions, but it's it's for the uh, the it's for the you know um, uh, it, it's in order to make this a musical theater property. You know, if you take that film and you put it on stage, it won't work. And we need to make this a musical, first and foremost. So how did... How did Pump, as a musical theater property, I mean, other than the film, how did that first come into your life? And then, same mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, I was uh, in Los Angeles... Um, when I was living there, I just graduated from USC, and uh, I was uh, I was very depressed one day living. Um, Los Angeles is a very lonely city, and uh, honestly, I I would give nothing more than to not live there um, mm. again. And uh, and um, uh, I was working on a project with another collaborator, and he said, um, and uh, he, he, and w- the the project was having problems. Um, this is a project we've. You know, since abandoned, and uh, <clears throat> I, uh, and he said, "Have you ever heard of the film Pump Up the Volume?" I think you know, rent the film. Um, this is before Netflix. You know, rent the film <laughs> and uh, uh, watch it, and maybe that w- could provide a structure for this show that we were working on. And so um, I went to uh, uh, I went to the Hollywood Video. What's a, what's a video store? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Grandpa, That's how old this was, Hampshire. Touche, touche. And so I, I walk into the video store, and I'm looking for it. And I turn around, and, uh, and there, there, the DVD is staring me in the face. And it's so weird, because there wasn't a, a, another uh, DVD to the left of it, and there wasn't another one. It was like all, all like a flood of DVDs, and then there was pump up the volume, you know, looking straight at me. And I and said, there's a choir. A choir. Oh. Yeah. Jeff, you don't a know about Jeff. Jeff has a choir following him everywhere. Right? It's and expensive. A light, from, a light from above shining on said DVD. It's expensive, but it's worth it. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, uh, where was I? Uh... Hollywood it was video. all alone. Yeah, yeah, Choir yeah. singing. Yeah, on exactly. The video. yeah it, exactly. And so I, I, I rent it. Um, I, I take it home with me. I watch it and I call up um, uh, uh, the the guy and I say, um, um, "Let's do this. <laughs> I, I really want to do this." And um, and the, the the collaborator in question was a, a, a Jordan man. Sure. Uh, the uh, the the uh, I have worked with Jordan and still work to this day with Jordan. Um, and um, and uh, thus began the, the journey um, in pursuit of uh, the rights to the film. And we spoke to many um, established producers and professionals in the industry, and they said, no way, you're not going to get the rights to this. You are just not going to get the rights to this. <clears throat> and uh, But 
my God, we had passion and we had um, we had the drive and we really wanted to tell the story. And so, uh, so you know, four years later, um, we finally got the rights. And, um, and uh, you know, uh, I mean, Jordan and I are wonderful, you know, collaborators. I love him dearly. Um, you know, I, the, the, there was a uh, mutual decision. Um, because, I mean, you know, I can't blame him. You know, um, it took forever in order to get the rights. So he, I think he just got tired of the, and just wanted to move on with his life. And it was really your passion project. And it was, was something it, you were so passionate about. I mean, honestly, it, it, it was my passion project. It's like when I wasn't working on the show, I was dying inside. Um, I, you know, I, I, I love, I love uh, every project that I work on, every single project I work on. But there's something about this story that, I mean, exercises demons for me on a personal level. Um, and uh, and uh, I met Jeremy Desmond, or, you know, the Brad Pitt impersonator. <laughs> um, uh, or no, no, Brad Pitt is the Jeremy Desmond. Oh, exactly. 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 There we go. <laughs> um, this, we, we, uh, we worked together on a TheaterWorks USA show um, called Virtually Me, which is about kids and technology. Um, in the 2010s, and um, and uh, this is Jordan F and I. Yeah, Jordan was writing the lyrics. I was writing the music, and Jeremy um, wrote a wonderful book, and uh, and uh, we and we had such a fun time working on this project together. And I remember I was walking with Jeremy um, up to Central Park uh, one gloomy afternoon in the city. And, and Jeremy said to me, he's like, you know, I, I, I want to write, I, you know, I, 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 I want to write, you know, just a, a project that I, I feel I can really sink my teeth into. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, I mean, um, it, you know, it, it, it was clear when, you know, Jordan was um, involved that we needed a book writer. And so I was going around, you know, Asking questions, you know, um, you know, getting recommendations uh, for, you know, to find a good book writer for the show. Because this show needs a good book writer, and unfortunately, I mean, I, I hit the jackpot with uh, with Jeremy. Um, I, I I woke up one night and I said, um, "Oh my God, I, I why, why not ask Jeremy Desmond? He'd be perfect." And uh, and then we started. We met together at a Starbucks and we started mm-hmm. talking. And uh, and then we just started talking about it, and uh, and uh, and then Jeremy came on writing lyrics and did a fantastic job. Well, and really, there was a step in in there where Jeff's like, I said, I said to Jeff, I said, I, I started going through this. I, I watched the movie, and there's something there's something about the style and the energy and the passion of that movie, and it and there's so much room to delve into it. I mean, it's a very it's it's a very stylistic movie. I mean, yeah. the what people remember about the film, aside from some of those incredible barbs that he said that he that he's got, <laughs> which we try to keep as many as we can, and, and, and invented tons more, um, is this um, it's this this it's this energy, it's this world, it's this larger than life world of this lonely, sleepy town shaken up by this guy in his basement with a you know ham radio, yeah. and. Uh, So um, Jeff came to me, and I basically pitched him. I've talked to him a little bit, and I pitched him in Act One, and I said, "We're going to do this." He's like, 
we're doing this. By the way, I was talking to the Encore Theater Company. <laughs> and we have a slot in five months. <laughs> and I said, what am I going to do with the other four months? <laughs> I mean, to rewrite. I know. Uh, rewrite? Why not just get it right the first time? <laughs> but, but the thing is. Whoa, 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 I'm sorry. There's a musical theater joke. I just have to jump yeah. in and tell us. How many musical theater writers does it take to change a light bulb? How many? Change? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Oh my God. Continue. I like that. <laughs> we'll have Ellen Green. <laughs> the, um, um, I'm, I'm lost. Oh, so we, it was so exciting to have this. I mean, I was four or five months. It was not a lot yeah. of time, four or five months. And, and there was a month in there we couldn't work on it because yeah. I had some other things I had to do. Um, and it was so thrilling to write it so quickly because yeah. that first draft is so hard and it can yeah. stretch out for 10 years. I mean, that's right. a little exaggeration, but it can take forever. I, I think under our own, our own volition, if we just had our own way with it, it would have taken a year and a half. Even if I just think it would have, even if we tried to, because without that deadline, we just would have always been looking for the better idea. Always, and and that's the job of the rewrite process. It's a part of the development process. You just got to get the you've got to get the story down. You've got to try to figure out what that is you're talking about, and you're just going to go forever. You're going to go forever saying, "Oh, we haven't gotten it yet. Oh, we haven't gotten it yet," and because that's the process of theater, and so having that deadline and having, and then all culminating in last night. It was. It's thrilling. It's thrilling to look last night and go, "We have a show," yeah. and I was not expecting to say that. I was expecting to say, "We have a maybe. We have a show coming soon," but I, I expect to say, "We got a lot of work. We got a lot of work, and we do have work, right, obviously." Right, right. But sure. it's we have a show. Yeah. I'm I'm not ashamed to send the script almost as is to some to people now mm-hmm. and really get some good demos and see yeah. who's going to be interested because I feel like the essence of the show is there, and at this point, it's a matter of developing it and and working through and there's a thousand things to be done but it's time to start doing that with 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 some people that we're going to continue to work with and find find the right people well it's always interesting to watch the audience yeah on on a night like that and to see if they're getting it and Mm -hmm. last night they were getting it and it was at midnight yeah, yeah, it was, it yeah, it was late yeah. at night. It was maybe maybe their second show of the evening yeah. for many After of us. We work. It was a Friday night, and Back people were laughing. Work. I mean, that's the, that's also something that was really important. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They got the jokes. Is that is that Pummel the Volume has this in the movie has this dark comic energy, but it's this, it's very dry, and and we wanted to we wanted to bring the, the bring the audience in, and that was actually what was interesting in translating this. The character and the and the monologues that he performed in the movie. The movie is kind of known for his monologues, but they don't. Those monologues aren't written to be heard by an audience, by by an, a living, breathing audience. Right. They weren't written as a, a a theater monologue, which is really a dialogue with a, with the audience. Right. And it was funny when I started delving into them, and I realized I had to really reinvent them because there needs to be give and take with the audience. There needs to be shock. There needs to be laughter. There needs right. to be horror. There needs right. to be yeah, you know what you. Brat, don't need to be you bratty kid. What are you up to? Stop it! Um, and that was something that was really satisfying last night that we were able to maintain because there's a darkness to the story and there's this desperation to the story. Um, and uh, it's, I mean, a, a kid commits suicide in the small town, and this person, in this 
pirate radio shock jock in the basement is blamed for it because he's riling up the youth and the question is is he a sim- is he the problem or is he a symptom yeah. of the problems and and uh, it gets dark and but, at the base of it it's very serious matter it oh, really yeah. is and it's but it's so so important to me to maintain a, a buoyancy throughout mm-hmm. and a lightness uh, that could turn and, and move so that we could keep an audience laughing keep an audience laughing keep an audience interested and shocked and hor- and horrified and then that there's then, these huge moments of, of this impact of emotion yeah oh like yeah just yeah you know the tears just like boom yeah. you know what I mean last night it was like whoa and I knew it was coming you know what I mean it's just like it was so satisfying. <laughs> so, was, and there was a moment in Act Two where we had this huge laugh that I, I was so thrilled to get. I didn't know if we were going to get it, followed by this gasp. Um, we were talking about that last night. And it was. Wait, which moment? It was a moment when. when I mean, it's a story of. Uh, we have a character named Principal Crestwood who is the uh, sort of. I don't want to call her the villain, but she's the voice of authority in the show. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, there's a lot of angry youth in this show. And she's the one who, for a long time, she's not wrong to keep these kids in line, yeah. to tell them that they've got to grow up before they can go wild. And, yeah. But there's a moment when there's, she's just not listening. She's just not open to the idea that anything in the world can change, that the, that the universe changes and evolves, and that, and, and that there's any validity. And, and she comes to terms with this kid, with, with Nora, a character in the show, and... And Nora is just giving it right back to her. And, and it's really a heated moment when she's like, I need to tell me who's behind this. Tell me who's behind this. And, and she really just tells her off. And it's this beautiful moment. And we're like, oh, my God, Nora, I can't believe you're doing it. And we're laughing because it's so beautiful. And then she just smacks her. Yeah. And she just, uh, and the, the, the principal smacks the kid. And it's this moment where we realize that there is, that that we nobody's the right. This system is corrupt. This is the system is corrupt, and it's it's broken, and it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily the fault of the authority or the. It's just that if all we're doing is screaming at each other, right. we're never gonna get there. Yeah, exactly. And we're never gonna get there, and that's sort of you know so much of the show is pump up the volume, and it's all about kids learning to scream and find their voice, and Mark in his basement discovering through through this this character he creates. Who he is, and and ultimately the strange lesson that we discovered inside the story is, there is, you ultimately have to find a middle ground. I mean, and that's you know more pertinent than ever living in you know yeah. 2011 America. I mean, if you think of the political system, not to get deep, but that's that's you know. I mean, we have blue state, red yeah, state. What's you have Fox that? News screaming at you know MSNBC and vice versa, right. and. You know, and, and nothing gets done. And, and, and that's the irony that, you know, the, the show is called Pump Up the Volume, but it's really about learning to, you know, turn, you know, quiet yourself so that you can pay attention and actually communicate and understand what the other side is trying to say. And once, you know, both parties do that, then we all can move forward. And that was actually, that was one of the things that we um, we adapted, we, we adapted more freely into the film was... We really pumped up in, in an interesting way, I hope, the character of Mark's father. I mean, it, it, ultimately, it's a story about finding your voice and growing up in a world that doesn't necessarily, that always is changing. It's always evolving. You know, we always look at our parents and we're like, what's wrong with you people? What, I don't understand why you don't understand this. Um, and we really wanted to make it about parents and children, too. We really wanted to really embrace that. So we, we, and we, sort of created this character of Mark's father, which was an amalgam of a couple characters in the film. And it becomes a situation where Mark's father is the uh, police lieutenant in town, as you know, and is 
ultimately hunting down his son in Act Two. He's trying to hunt down this evil pirate radio shock jock, Happy Harry Hardon. <laughs> Completely and oblivious to the, oblivious to the fact that it's there. happening in his basement. Exactly. It's, and, and he... Uh, and I really look... I'm really thrilled with how that story is coming along. Yeah. And, well, yeah, and, and also the fact that, I mean, ha- I, I don't think Happy or Hard Harry would be born if it weren't for Brian. Right. I mean, you know, Brian... And that's, I mean, Brian is at, uh, uh, Brian, uh, Mark's father, Lieutenant Hunter, um, he's at, he's the cause, and, you know, we resolve it when they, you know, find each other again, and learn to communicate with power. each other. With, yeah, exactly. With power. <laughs> well, why don't we go ahead and listen to a song? Great. Uh, what do we want to listen to? <laughs> yeah, oh, the list. Uh, let's listen to When the Words Won't Come. Let's listen to When... Jeremy, would you like to set this up? Yeah. Sure. This is Mark's uh, first song. I mean, this is his, his, for lack of a better word, this is his I Want song. This is. Mm-hmm. We've met Hart Harry. We've met him on the radio. We've seen the children fawning all over this, in, this, this figment of the air, this, this craven shock jock in the middle of the night who pretends to masturbate on the air. He riles up the students with these, with these platitudes. Um, and then we meet Mark, the character behind it, and he's this very shy, reserved kid with a father who talks over him, doesn't have time for him, goes to a school where the principal says, get to class. Nobody has, there's, no, there's no sense of communication. And there's this moment when he sees something really wrong, in, 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 something's rotten in the state of Denmark, and he's, he's trying to bring it up to Principal Cress with his character, and she just stares him down and says, what? You have something to say to me? You have something to say to me. I am all ears, Mark. Say it. And this is him realizing and us learning why he has this character on the radio he comes to because he can't, Mark doesn't know how to communicate. When you have the words, you answer every question just like that. When they need the answer, there you are. People ask for your advice. Maybe get some homework help when you're the classroom genius. You're the star, but the words won't come, so you slouch down in your seat. And the words won't come, so you stare down at your feet. When the words won't come, no surrender, no defeat. If you retreat, then you play dumb. When the words won't When you have the words, the girl with pale green eyes will know your name. You can crack a joke once in a while. (laughs) Ask about the club she runs. Tell her that you'd like to join. She tells you, sure, why not? And starts to smile. But the words won't come, so you stammer, turn aside. And the words won't come, and you're trapped and terrified. When the words won't come, nothing's lost when nothing's tried. If you can hide where you stay numb, when the words won't come. If I had the words, I'd introduce you to Lenny Bruce. Maybe find out more about the books you'd like to read If I had the words we'd chat on this and that Perhaps we'd rate a date and see where things will lead If 
I had the words, we'd bitch and moan, laugh and rave and rant. But I won't. I can't. <laughs> you don't have the words, so you can't tell him, Dad, I hate this place. Miss my mom, the only life I've known. I don't have the words, so screw heart to heart and face to face. Who needs it when I've got the microphone? Where the words will come, so it's time to start the show. Unfaithful listeners, do you care where your parents are? For me. Um, <laughs> on that. Uh, 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 Marty Thomas uh, played Mark, and uh, a variety of people um, were provided the uh, background oohs and ahs. <laughs> we all need oohs and ahs. <laughs> I'm partial to oohs, but <laughs> I can see that in you. <laughs> yep, oohs are round. <laughs> So what was the process like then? I mean, I, the process started, yeah. you know, with you and The uh, process Jordan, was and Encore then... Theater Company really needs the script. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up. Hurry up. Damn, David Brush keeps emailing me. Emailing me. Jack, change your email. Change your email. <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> So you're in the room together, or do you like work on opposite sides of well, the city? Well, I mean, we did a lot email. of talking, a, a lot, lot of, talking. of talking on the phone and in person. I think and... my process is I really need to, I really need to work out in my head what the story we're telling is. I mean, that's yes. there's the. I mean, there's to me there's two things. There's the story and the plot. The plot is everything that happens. Oh, they're being they're chased through the streets. Oh, he found out here. Oh, she. He's on the radio and he gets caught and yeah. she finds out. And then there's the story, which is what is this about? And that's what takes so long to make sure you're telling the same story yeah. with your collaborators. And um, Jeff and I would just keep talking and talking and I and I would pitch all these ideas and Jeff was so game because I'm like ten steps ahead of him, like, this thing and he's like and he starts talking about it. Oh no, I already cut that. He's like, Oh, okay. And then just keep going. <laughs> because for me it was a matter of trying to find the way to, to tell all the things yeah. that Jeff's excited about yeah. and that I'm excited about. And then I kind of had to go away for a couple weeks um, to just get it on the page in an order. And then, um, and then I would come back to Jeff with, with scenes or, or half scenes. Or I think the first time I came back with most of it, Act One. Because yeah. I, I needed to sort of yeah, find well, what I want that yeah, one I mean, the, the, the first time, The first time I, I heard um, snippets of the score was when we were on the phone. Oh, the script, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, of the script. And, and I, I, immediately I said... That this is just meant to be, uh, you know. I mean, I, I I don't know if anyone believes in fate. Uh, I I do, um, and I, you know. Uh, but um, <clears throat> I believe, you know, we we were brought together to write virtually me for Theater Works USA so that we could write the show 
And uh, I, I just think it's a, it's a magical thing, and I couldn't be more happy. Is there anything from Alan's original screenplay that already you had to sacrifice that just killed you? Is there anything there that's... Oh, that's a good question. Um, Samantha Mathis's breast. <laughs> <laughs> and, Ellen you, and Ellen Green. And Ellen Green. Ellen Green. Ellen Green. Wait, yeah, you know, well, you Ellen really Green. have to be sacrificed. about that. What, the Ellen Green character or Samantha Mathis's breast? The breast. <laughs> I just... Well, well she's... Frank Wildhorn did I, it in Dracula. Well, no, no. I, I, we haven't called up Samantha Mathis's agent, so that we don't really know. Um... There's this uh, Ellen Green. Just that's a good thing. There's a character of the this this bleeding heart teacher, who's the only one who sort of understands Hard Harry's situation. And we had her in the drafts for a while. And this was the character played by Ellen Green in the movie. And we just every time she was on stage, we found ourselves. What are you doing? What here? are you doing here? You already understand that the student. You there's no there's nothing to push back against. Because in, in a movie, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of things in there. And is this uh, the the teacher that gets fired? She became the teacher who gets fired in in the movie. She does ultimately get fired. Actually, near the end of the show, we move that way at the beginning yeah, of the show. Yeah. Um, and she played that to the teacher who listens to the radio, and she's the voice of reason within the school. But we realized that was one too many voices. And we, we, every, well, yeah, and also we, like. Uh, Emerson and Nora were Emerson kind was of the, of the same, uh, same journey. Yeah, the journey of, of our of our lead female character. We we just found all those beats taking away from our other characters, mm-hmm. and that was something we had to sacrifice. And we loved the idea of this teacher also fighting the system from within. But it's a musical, and you have to be really economical. Not just and not that's not just to save money, but. I don't like extra cast number. I'm not a fan of cast of thousands if there's no real reason for cast of thousands. Right, like, I play right. waiter number one. I play cop number two. Can't you also be the kid? No, they're going to remember that I was the cop number two. No, I like the idea of this ensemble yeah. and you sort of understand who everybody is and at the end of the show, you recognize everybody and you spend time with them all. Yeah. And then we just kept, yeah, we Nora and then the, the father. Yeah, that was something that we definitely lost in the screenplay. Um, I, I think like we, we, which I love. There, there are um, two characters uh, called Stacy and Tracy who we who oh. love, but but the, there are two girls in there, the movie. That, it wasn't um, it's, but, but, well though there was a young there were there was this energy of yeah. there's a th- there's thousands of kids in the movie. The movie. Yeah. Oh, we yeah. do the same yes. with, with with a cast of eight students. Um, we can you can expand it if you want to add a couple characters. We could probably add two to six mm-hmm. background voices. Um, but we can easily do the show with ten people, with eight eight high school seniors and two adults. And um, the uh, there were so many kids in the movie. There were there was just thousands of them. They were, they were in fights. They were listening in the radio. They weren't. And we needed to capture that energy somehow. So yeah. we created these characters, Stacy and Tracy, who are these groupies, and they really provided some comic comic <laughs> comic relief. Absolutely. But also, it just sort of my concern was we were going to think. Wow, this guy sure is popular. He has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven listeners. Wow. <laughs> but we were able to create this sense of success, this sense that everybody was listening to it by having these two girls over the top in love with him and every opportunity going, oh my God, don't you understand what he's doing to us? And he's changing our life. And it was, and it was this figment that happened and we were delighted um, to see them come alive yesterday. Yeah. Uh, brilliantly, brilliantly performed. Brilliantly. Yvette and Tommy. Kudos, kudos, girls! If you're listening, if you're not listening, then I know you're listening. Give that. 
Yeah, and then you've got a great moment where you utilize them. You utilize them as another character, each of them, and. Oh yeah, oh, they and play their just, parents, and it worked so well. Yeah, oh, it, it was that was hilarious. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean that was something we again we didn't want them. We have to have them playing cops here and there. Right. Oh but yeah. They're, and but I actually envision them kind of in in hats and coats. You really have no idea. They're just bodies moving, and they, that's really all the cops are. I mean, right. I don't think the cops ever say anything other than police freeze. Yeah. Hey, you stop! <laughs> I mean that because the idea was we really wanted this feeling of this this community of people that we know so we have them that was something we could break out of that and then we had all the students play their parents in this one song about how how hard Harry was really he was taking over our use making our poor little babies rebel against us and they all play their parents um, and they're just all histrionic about it it's great I mean it It works really well and it's our op- act two opener about it that. also brings a level of theatricality yeah. yeah that's what I love about this show too it's yeah. we we really got it out of uh, it's yeah. not a it's not a one set show but that doesn't mean it has lots of sets it's this very fluid show that takes place in a lot of limbo because yeah. it's it's all about it's about these kids trapped in nothingness it's really yeah. not about oh look they're in a really beautiful principal's office for half the show oh look they're in a really great hallway oh look they're okay. so it's it, it it I think it provides for a really fun abstract energetic staging um, ideally yeah. that I think is really going to um, you know we need a dumpster and a radio console and you know boom boxes all scattered all over the side yeah. I, I yeah. love that yeah. idea because well, the show's set in 1990 which is something I really love about it is I mean it's about pirate radio and um Nowadays, everyone has a pirate radio. I have one on my phone. I can go right now and pirate, yeah. you know yeah. send a broadcast to all my friends on Facebook in two seconds. What are we doing right now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is exactly, this is pirate radio. Yeah, yeah pretty just much. tweeted on Facebook. Oh, not tweeted it. <laughs> oh, Jeff. Ah. Just, <laughs> 30 years. Just tweeted. Tweeted on Facebook. Oh, and man. you can follow us on Twitter. <laughs> Tweetbook. Tweetbook. <laughs> Tweetbook. Tweetbook plus. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> All right, let's let's uh, let's talk about uh, Malcolm a little bit. Yeah, and then let's go. Malcolm is a the... character who is really the um, is really the sea change in our show. Really the the, the impetus for a lot of what happens. The, the, it's these kids who are fighting the system and marks on the radio. Hard Harry is is pissing everybody off, calling the principal at home, embarrassing her, calling her out on things, riling up the children. And then a kid calls on the radio station and says, "Dear Harry." I, I want to kill myself, and Harry doesn't know how to take that, and he's hard, he's already had a prank call that night, and he 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 kind of plays it off. He's like, "Oh, big man, gonna kill himself," and and it after a moment he realizes, "Wait a second, I think this kid's serious," and he really tries to connect with him, and he's like, "Look, we're all alone," and and I and he, it's this really beautiful moment where he really tries to talk him off the ledge. And he hangs up on him, and he doesn't know what to do, and he laughs it off, and he goes to school the next day, and the kid has killed himself. And Harry was the last person to talk to him. And it's this moment. He feels feels responsible, and he doesn't understand it, and and the children don't know how to react to it. No one in the town understands it. And the principal's trying to sweep it under the rug, and her reaction is is to assess blame so that there's an answer. Because to her... If something goes wrong, there's a way to fix it. 
and, and it, everything is she believes she can control everything and she believes she's responsible for the youth and not in a negative way but she believes that she is responsible and that she can fix this and this is just an, a searing right. tragedy in their midst and he really and so the kids are lost and Harry feels responsible so he doesn't want to go on the air anymore and the kids need him and this, that's the, sort of the drama of act two is he, is, is he going to go on the air or not What's and then there are great moments where there's just nothing happening. Nothing. You know, nothing. And it, it's almost like, I want more nothing to happen there. So it's like... It's Believe tempting. me, I've tried to have more nothing <laughs> No, I, it was a lovely moment like, when they're all staring, waiting for the radio. Yeah. And, and yeah. there's this crackle and like yeah. sine waves and they're just waiting. Yeah. And there's this sense of doom. Like, is he going to come on the air? Tell, tell us what to feel. And the kids are so beaten down, they don't it's know what so to feel. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. so uncomfortable. And then, and then there's this moment when Mark does go back on the air, and he basically says, I can't do this anymore. And the kids are completely lost, and, and they have no idea what to do. And um, he answers letters from, from kids. That's, that's the idea. He gets these letters in. And a spotlight hits, and the music plays, and there's this letter he finds, and he doesn't know what it is. And on walks the ghost of Malcolm, the, the character who killed himself. And it's the suicide note that Malcolm... Did, no one thought he left behind and Malcolm wrote the suicide note and sent it to Hard Harry and the ghost of Malcolm comes on and says hey are you going to read it and Harry just pours out his soul I'm so sorry I didn't think you were going to do it I wouldn't have been so mean he's like hey it wasn't your fault it's not you you didn't do this this is, this is what we've been living with and, and he's like I'm sorry I couldn't save you and he says you can save me and here's how read this letter on air and this next song it's called Quiet Desperation um, and it's a song about it's it's his suicide note about why he did it and and the reason he did it is something that every single person has felt at least every teenager has felt which is this feeling of I don't I don't measure up I can't live up to this and, and nobody and everybody is saying you'll get it right just get it right just get it right just grow up just be it and he and this is this 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 plaintive thing that becomes this this driving rock ballad about I mean, Bell might be the wrong word. This driving song about, yeah. about about this desperation to, to to find that thing in yourself. And after it, which we're not playing that song, it it drives into the the closer of Act One, which is called Pump Up the Volume, which is a riot at the school where all the students run run to the school and start burning trash cans and 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 tearing things, screaming, over, screaming to be heard, screaming to be heard, and sirens with the police. And this really gets the police in, involved. So this song is Quiet Desperation, which is. Malcolm's letter to Mark and to the world. Quietly we're taught to listen and resign and quiet desperation is our birthright yours and mine and quietly the voice of expectation drowns the and quiet desperation chokes our souls so we can't scream Till we're tearing at the seam, waiting Quietly we learn that life is just not fair And quiet desperation turns to silence and despair Quietly we lose the chance to choose another way As 
Quiet desperation draws us further every day From the things we want to say Sutton Foster, and you are listening to Musical World. So this is really me, no hiding, no more lies. The one you've waited for, is it such a surprise that I am just like you? Alone and half insane So lost without the words To make sense of the pain Then I took a chance Stole some air Didn't think anyone would care I never knew I'd find you To turn my darkness to light What we started can't survive If we keep the air alive The power in the night The feelings that we share The music that we need Waits for us on the air There's no more time to waste 
and hiding in the past. The time we've waited for, it has come round at last. Lift up your voice, make a choice, sing out in any way you can. The words will come in the hum to help you live through the night. The moment will arrive if you keep the air alive. And when you're frightened and alone. And you don't know where to turn. Don't forget about this night. What we've done, what we can learn. Raise your voice and speak your heart. Blaze the truth across the skies. Watch it grow, 'cause you will know when one voice calls, a thousand rise. Pump up the volume. How much power's there? It's up to you to see. I hope you understand me. I know you understand. Keep the air alive. It's there for you to steal. Take it, make it yours. Let them know what you feel. Keep the air alive. Don't let the silence win. Won't matter what you try, only let it begin. Open your heart, let it start. Thunder your voice across the earth, and on the air I'll be there to help you win in the fight. All the power. The drive. If we keep the air alive, keep the air alive. Keep the air alive. So that second song you just heard was "Keep the Air Alive," which is the finale to the show. And this is Mark、um, stepping. This is Mark finally stepping out from behind the microphone. 
what what's happened in the show is Mark has broken through uh, this inability to communicate, and um, he's he's really trying to he's trying to he's passing it on. He's sort of retired Hard Harry. Hard Harry is actually arrested, and he goes he he goes away. And what happens at the end of Keep the Air Alive is is we, we you, you hear um, over the end there's some music and we hear this sine waves and, and radio hum and, and voices in the distance of new pirate radio stations all over of people finding their voices and experimenting and hi this is the girl radio over here hey I'm in Brooklyn hey what's up um, hope the thunderstorm doesn't get in the way of my and it's this beautiful idea that that Hard Harry himself uh, he, he found his voice and and he found a way to communicate with people and, and he actually had to sacrifice Hard Harry that's part of the story mm-hmm. that's a little heavy handed way of saying it he needed to sort of pass it on and mm-hmm. then he's passed it on to the world and, it's, and there's, this, there's this hope that other kids are going to be are going to make it make it that they're all feeling it but you know what right. this is you're just not what, alone you're not yeah. alone and, right. and, and this is a way to do it this yeah. is be heard and, and to share your voice um, I love the hope in the yeah. ending of, yeah. of the Absolutely, show. Absolutely, yeah. Letters in the air. The one girl <laughs> that, it's like, yeah, I forget how, it, how you worded it, but the, she says something like, I know you're out there, you're struggling, you know, call me and talk to me. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, that one was key, I thought. Yeah. And also just, I mean, it inspires community to come together, and that, that's another thing that I, I, you know, that's in the film and uh, in the show that I really love. So what's next? A follow-up for pump up the volume because we're going to pump up the volume the later years. <laughs> we go back to semi-hard Harry and he's you know he's <laughs> bye Dave. That's <laughs> fine. So what's the really what's next? <laughs> what's it with the show? Yeah. We don't know. We have, it looks, fingers crossed, we have two opportunities we can't really talk about yet in January and February. Hopefully they'll come through um, to develop the show even more. Um, develop underscoring, continue working on the characters, cut songs, fix songs, demos, change things, demos. Demos, demos. demos is next. Is really, yeah. and it's finding those partners that we really need to take it to the next level. Yeah. And, and I really am, I feel good about it. I'm very excited. We don't have that because again, this is this was the this is the debut. Mm-hmm. This is so raw, yeah. you know. Yep. I can count I can count the number of people who've seen this script, and it's not that many, you know. And you are a very large percentage of those people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's what's next, and hopefully Jeff and I will continue to work together. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I, it's such a great collaboration. I love working yeah. with you. And oh. oh. <laughs> But Monday morning, you fly out. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> Hampshire. <laughs> Hampshire. Lord Hampshire Stevenson the third. Um, uh, yes. I. Uh, my, uh, there's another show I wrote um, called Trails, which I wrote with uh, Jordan Mann lyrics and um, the fabulous Christy Hall. Uh, she wrote the book. Um, we wrote the show um, about two. Uh, friends who reconnect after um, many years apart and decide to hike the Appalachian Trail and uh, and discover that Mother Nature is not the only woman that's been keeping them from you know their future. Great music too. That's, oh, thank it's you. It's a great show. It's a great show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
And uh, yeah, we were invited. Uh, well, the the show premiered at the uh, Los Angeles Musical Theater Festival last summer, and this past. Uh, fall it premiered at the uh, New York Musical Theater Festival, so we're, we're just doing the festival route. Um, and uh, and now it's uh, it, it was given the great honor to participate in the Village Theater um, in Seattle, uh, their festival for New American Musicals, and uh, we couldn't be more honored. And uh, yeah, we've done a lot of work with the show. Really? And, Has it changed uh, much since NYU? You know, it has. It, it, you know, it, but not to say that it wasn't good to begin with. It was very good, and uh, you know. But we we cut out so much fat, and um, it's now this lean, mean, tear jerking machine. <laughs> um, but you know, another another story that's very personal um, to me and uh, very uh, very close to my heart. So we're excited about. That. What are we going to hear from Trails? Uh, we are going to hear the finale of the show, uh, which is entitled "Journey's End," um, and this is after um, uh, a moment of catharsis where these two friends have. Uh, because the show is about not only the physical miles one must walk; it, it takes place they're hiking the Appalachian Trail. So it's not about it's not just about the physical miles you walk. But the emotional miles. These are good sound bites, by the way. I don't have these for pump. This is that's I love that. The emotional miles. Oh yeah, that's well, really good. Yeah. Still, still, pump, pump can be about the emotional miles you walk. Yeah, well, 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 yeah. I mean, but I mean, yeah, yeah. Pump of the volume two is hiking the Appalachian Trail. Um, no, but but uh, you know, not just the physical miles, but the emotional miles one must travel to genuinely learn to deal with loss and I, I I'm, I'm trying to be careful with my words because you can't get over loss it's something you know it's a scar that's and, and, and you know we've all lost and um, and uh, you know it's uh, uh, you know you, you can never get over it you just have to learn to live with it and be able to see what's in front of you you know unless you know, the visions of the past are preventing you from getting um, to that next step in your life. And uh, it, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's a, it, to me, it's a very powerful show and, and something I, uh, I connect to on a very emotional level. Cool. Uh, yep. So you're listening to Journey's End, performed by... Uh, this is oh my gosh we did these demos so long ago. Uh, uh, um, 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 uh, uh, Matt Lutz uh, in the role of Seth and um, Andrew Samansky uh, in the role of Mike and yeah, featuring a wonderful ensemble um, Meredith Anderson Rynes uh, Liz Kimball and uh, Andrew Colbert. Morning sunrise sip my coffee.
And then I said, yeah, I'm adapting Pump Up the Volume into a musical. And he's like, oh, is that the Mariah Carey movie? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> Mariah Carey? I'm like, glitter? He, glit- I, I think he was thinking about uh, glitter. That's an idea. Don't steal it. <laughs> yeah, cut that out, Jim. <laughs> I want to do Showgirls the musical. <laughs> boobies? Yes. Boobies? Yes. More boobies? Yes. And a weird sex scene. <laughs> in a pool. I believe it was actually Oscar Hammerstein II that said, What you need in a, in a musical is an I Want song and booby. <laughs> I believe that's what he said. I was at a quote, I believe. <laughs> you heard it here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I live, yeah. So, Jeremy. Yes, sir. Beyond pump and. I, nothing but pump. I do nothing but pump. <laughs> I do all sorts of crazy stuff. What I write the circus. The circus. I work for the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus is one of my gigs. Seriously, right? Yeah. So you're 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 yeah. serious like, heart attack. Yeah, I, I I can juggle now. I spent, <laughs> you, I can, you do like the Ringmaster material? Yeah, or? I can help name the show, help put it together. I mean, there's a there's a whole there's a director, there's producers. So my job, I'm the writer of the show. So it's a crazy amalgam of a job. Really? Yeah, work with elephants cool. and clowns and and, oh, and Ringmasters and tigers. <laughs> Tigers, you know they are in charge, my friend. Just ask Siegfried and Roy. Exactly. Oh, oh. that's no. I mean, that's a very tragic. Um, no, that's been, and I, I, and I've been doing a lot of sort of my earning a living doing the family entertainment stuff. So I've also written for Disney Live, and I did a oh, Curious cool. George show, and some Sesame Street material, awesome. and. Um, 
but, and virtually me and virtually me and, um, <laughs> and I did this song cycle this review rather that we did up at the Barrington Stage Company earlier this summer which I'm so proud of it was this wonderful thing it's called Surviving the Avalanche I wrote it with a, an incredible composer named Vadim Feichner who is a music director he music directed Spelling Bee that's his, his oh, okay. biggest credit so far but he's got a lot he's an amazing music director and an incredible composer and um, we had written a handful we just had written a bunch of songs um, maybe 15, 20 songs that we really liked and they were, they were based on nothing but these stories there's just stories that we wanted that we thought would be fun to tell and we really tell them together very well and we did a, a night at Joe's Pub in, in New York City last year it, uh, it was called Desmond and Feichner Continue to Disappoint Their Parents <laughs> and it, because we were writing musical theater not a real job. law school not yet <laughs> um, and we had these incredible performers who came and we had we did I think we did 12 or 13 songs this ridiculous list of performers and it was a really great group of songs. It sounds, it sounds really great. Um, and we took them. We were invited by Julie Boyd and Bill, William Finn um, to come up and work on them at Barrington Stage and turn them into a show. Um, and we did, we, we reduced, we took it down to four actors and we did it with four performers and um, we wrote an opening number and some monologues to string it together. It's called Surviving the Avalanche, like I mentioned. It's sort of the idea is um, you know, climbing up life's mountain. Here, here you go, Jeff. Here's my soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> when, when life is throwing rocks at you, all you can do is sing. Mm. Not bad. That's, That's good. good. I and think you, you went up to me. I, no, well, I, I think <laughs> when you're climbing the emotional miles up the. Nope. Ah. <laughs> so um, anyway, so this song it was it, it was really satisfying, and now we have a show that I really believe if people still did. Reviews, which they really don't. It would. It's. It's really satisfying. I'm. And all these. It's these weird long story songs. They're longer than they, they should be. Some of them because they're telling these really. They're not cabaret snippets. They're. There's maybe three or four or five that you could yank out and throw in your cabaret. But a lot of them tell these really fun long stories. Um, the song I'm gonna play. We're gonna play is this weird little song that we didn't even know what we had when we first first was developing this the show. Um, we just were like we have, and we have this other thing. Can we also play this? We don't know what it is. Um, so, so it, when you're listening, trust us that it's okay. Go to the end. It, <laughs> it, it continues. Anyway, uh, the performance. Uh, this is from Joe's Pub. This is a performance by Jesse Tyler Ferguson, who's now, you know, lighting up the boards and on uh, Modern Family. And uh, uh, but he came and did this for us. And it's uh, it doesn't. It's it's a strange song with a strange title. It's called "So This Guy Was Climbing Up a Mountain." <laughs> <laughs> so this guy was climbing up a mountain to see And there was this avalanche And there was no one around for miles When the snow and the dust cleared away There he lay on the ground Amazingly, he was still alive Amazing <laughs> Amazingly, he was still alive that's not even the part that I find the most interesting. No. So this guy's arm was crushed beneath a boulder. Literally crushed beneath a boulder. Stuck clear up to the shoulder. And it was getting colder. He squirmed and squeezed and twisted yank. Nothing. He knew that he could freeze to 
to death. Still nothing. The only way this guy could save his life was to pull out a knife. So he pulls out a knife. <laughs> now, this very same guy, he was on the Today Show. He survived an avalanche. So why? Tell me why. Tell me why can I break up with you? coming, did you? No, no, I didn't. It totally caught me off guard. I mean, don't you think that kind of, t it, it just kind of describes your life. When'd you say You know, I, I really can't. Who hasn't? You, who hasn't? Who hasn't? I know you've been in that situation. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, it's really been a pleasure, and uh, we are so happy to have gotten the opportunity to work oh, with you. I mean, yeah, and, and, and if, if I may say, um, as we wrap up, on behalf of Jeremy and myself, um, I mean, what you guys, what David, Shane, and Chris, you know. Jim. Jim. Oh, oh, I, oh, my gosh. I, Chris, you are excellent, too. Chris, Jim. Jim I, 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 let's, 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 let's go back. Yeah. Uh, too late, too late. Uh, um, uh, uh, oh, it's early. Um, Chris, Chris Farley's my cousin. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, well, well, I mean, theaters, you know, it's very difficult. Like, theaters these days don't have the audacity or the passion to produce new musicals and to really, you know, as Mark Hunter in, our, in Pump Up the Volume would say, you know, we need to be heard. We need to be, our voices need to be heard. And um, you guys, I mean, sincerely, from the bottom of our hearts, you guys are doing such amazing work, and this company is going to thrive, and uh, and I know it. And uh, you know, we 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 wouldn't we couldn't be we couldn't do what we do without the support of theaters like Encore Theater Company. So thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. It's our passion, and you know, we hope we can keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> and you will. And you will. Okay, well, um, we have to get wrapped up because what what is it? The uh, writers meet the writers at the festival up. week up meet up week weekend. Uh, we, should, we should put on pants. Well, before we go out on the sidewalk, we should all put our pants on. Okay. You have got to come to Dayton. <laughs> it is, you know. Just not enough pants to go around. <laughs> well, see, and Dave was just putting his pants on. He left early because it takes him longer for some reason. Yeah. Uh. Well, thanks, guys. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, 
Um, yeah, we'll talk again. And uh, Make sure you send us updates as things happen. Oh, oh, did did oh, you want to tell anybody? Is there any place uh, web pages or Facebooks or anything like that that you want to put I'm out there? I'm terrible at that. Jeff's much better than me. <laughs> well, uh, we haven't. Uh, I mean, so we're still very early in the process. Right. We haven't uh, officially started a Facebook account for okay, Pump well, Up the Volume. Uh, the Surviving the Avalanche, all those songs are on YouTube. YouTube? If you... Uh, well, and I'll put I'll put links in the show notes and that kind of thing to where people want to go to musicalworld.us. Yeah. It'll be on the you know, you'll be able to hear the sh- uh, it's a song on the show, but there'll be links to YouTube and yeah. I can just go directly and, there. Uh, yeah, and on the YouTube, um, if if people are interested, um, there is actually a version of Quiet Desperation sung by um, Mr. Adam Lambert. Oh, really? So it's it's he he. That, as Jeremy would say, that man is not untalented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he can he can rack it up. He ratchets it up. I, I think he needs a Thompson and Desmond song for his next album. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Thompson <laughs> and we Hampshire. all come for a full circle. Hampshire and Pitt. Hampshire and Pitt. <laughs> oh, Hampshire. Oh, Pitts. Oh. <laughs> Take it to the road. And it... it's a, we're suddenly a restoration comedy. Like, Hampshire. Pitts. It's like Mutton Jeff. All, <laughs> all right, folks. Thanks for listening. Thank we'll you. catch you on the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thank you. NCIS Columbus. <laughs> NCIS date. Yeah. And then after three episodes, they're like, uh, got well. them all. <laughs> <laughs> Good work. <laughs> Every episode ends there. Series finale of things. It's like, we got them all. And then, oh, someone's come in from Columbus. <laughs> I want Christian Slater to play Hunter, the dad. And that would make sense, but I know. Christian Slater still looks like he's 15. <laughs> no, no. Oh, you think it's just wrong? It's just wrong. <laughs> he, he, he's people know. He, he's when people think Pablo the volume, he's the first thing they think of. Put him in like a, a little beard with some of the with a ball Pace. cap. <laughs> <laughs> February 14th, 2010. Oh, Oh, yeah, how about that? I wasn't on a day. They're like, How exciting. When's free for you? He's like, February 4th. <laughs> <laughs> February 4th. That's completely clear. <laughs> Can we do it around 9 o'clock? <laughs> Are we just are we just a number to you, <laughs> And and to make it worse, a number I can't remember. Uh, how are we not in a, how are we not recording this? Oh, we are. Oh, we're, <laughs> I didn't know we were. Oh, well, we, I, I just started Ellen, it because that song was really in the show. No, no, no. no we Ellen we haven't really was, we we haven't started no. the show yet. This is just evidence. I'm we done. This thing. <laughs>